make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing it seemed in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander, the host of the Entertainment Business Wisdom podcast. I'm so excited you're with us here today. You have a fantastic special guest ahead of you. Welcome. Welcome to Haley Simpson. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Originating from the snowy north, Haley has traveled and trained all over North America, winning awards for her signature dark comedy writing style. She has carved out a place in the world of film and TV. A graduate of Humber College with a degree in comedy writing and performance, she's worked with such names as Andrea Martin from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Robin Duke from Saturday Night Live, and Alan Gutman from Second City. Haley Simpson is a voice actor and writer. She's traveled the world writing and performing. Along with founding Funny Laugh Productions, a micro-budget film writing production company, she has strived to write works that highlight diverse perspectives and stories. Welcome, Haley Simpson. Hello, thank you. I'm so happy that you're here. And uh, and I know it's not in your bio, but you're also uh, our resident expert on video game writing as well, which I'm I'm so intrigued by. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting world. You're, you have a lot of courage to just go out and explore all these things. I feel like as a woman in comedy, you have to be courageous anyway. Um, what risks have you been taking? Um... Well, I mean, when I was 17, I, I took an audition to go to a college that I had no idea about, zero uh, idea about the program, and I just decided to do it. I think a lot of the, the courage that I have is actually just built upon spite to uh, make it look like I'm better than the bullies that I had in school. So I just kind of uh, am fueled by that a lot of the time. Um, being a woman in comedy. I, I call that productive rage. <laughs> you I know what? No, yeah, I, I have a lot of it. And I've kind of founded my business on it, but that's another, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. It's really powerful when it motivates us. I mean, look at like Michael Jordan and the NBA, like that kind of productive rage can be just so powerful. Yeah. I'm going to tell my therapist productive rage. I think that'll <laughs> go over really well. <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. So you, um, and you came from Canada. What's your journey been like coming into the United States as a comedian here and writer? Uh, very weird. Uh, so I moved to Utah in 2012, but had like a kind of a winding journey to get to this point. Uh, it kind of started by just, um, 
doing stand-up. I, I ended up doing stand-up around the States for a little bit. I did a lot in New York, some in Kentucky, a little bit in Salt Lake City. Um, and while I was doing that, I was also uh, story editing for writers who were like, I need another set of eyes. And I you know, said, I'll do it for 50 bucks. I'll do it for 25 bucks. I'll, you know, try and get gas in my car. So I'll just read your script and send you notes within a day. Um, and then just slowly accumulated, uh, kind of a career out of that, of just looking at people's scripts and telling them uh, where they can improve. Uh, that's so cool. It, you know, in terms of your stand-up, take me into that world for a moment. Yeah. You know, the stand-up world of New York. Have you written about it as well? Your experiences? Um, I should preface it with: I did stand-up. It wasn't good stand-up. It was, oh. <laughs> it was, it was stand-up where I was trying to find my voice. It was still an area where I wasn't a hundred percent confident in. Uh, I, I don't think anyone is ever a hundred percent confident in their stand. <laughs> that doesn't exist. That's I, a fantasy. <laughs> I don't know, man. You know what? You're probably right. You're probably right. Uh, but I, I uh, as good as your last open mic. That's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last open mic I did, actually, they had a giant stuffed buffalo head right behind where you were standing. Mm -hmm. And it kept a lot of the performers from walking out of the light. And I think that was their, like, um, justification. It was like it keeps you in the light. It was very odd. Um, that is really odd to have, like, a horny beast behind you, like, poking you into the light. That's so violent. Yeah. It, I mean, stand-up is violent, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did. I, well, I was in Toronto and got really almost jaded from the scene because it's such a small scene in Toronto. It's, it's grown exponentially since I have been there, but it's a lot of the same people over and over again. And it's a great place for you to build your, your stuff and get feedback. And it's great. I got a little bit like, I'm a little uh, small. It feels like a small town again. So I need to get out. I bought a bus ticket and I left. I didn't, I just had took a, a suitcase and left. Um, and I found a place in uh, New York, uh, in Jersey actually, it was just across the way uh, on the harbor front. And I stayed there for a little bit and every night just went out did some stand-up in some weird places and then came home and kept doing it for uh, probably about a solid three months of just doing stand-up every night. Wow. I love that. I love that about you. And I know you're LGBTQ also, right? Yeah, I am wicked gay. Yay! <laughs> the most gay. Uh, in the, in the, you know, small Mormon town like U Logan, Utah, I stand out very much. Oh, I love that. Um, when did you come out? Oh man. I think I was always out. I think I, did. I don't, I don't think I ever was in the closet at all. Uh, I was very lucky to have a family and parents who were uh, very accepting right off the bat. Uh, my mom is an old hippie. And so she was like, dope, whatever I knew since you were like nine. And I was <laughs> great. Thanks mom. Awesome, mom. Uh, when I came out to her, it was over the phone and I was like, Hey mom, I'm, I I'm gay. And she goes, okay, when are you coming home next? 
and it was a non-issue. I was very, very lucky in that sense. It actually isn't till uh, very recently that I had to deal with uh, homophobia, actually, and and all the stuff about coming out and being afraid of that. And it's a very interesting thing as a 30-year-old woman to um, be out for all of your life and then have to kind of hide that a little bit. Not like for your safety? Um, for safety, for jobs, I lost actually a couple of, um, uh, uh, jobs just here in Utah. Uh, I had, that's illegal. Oh, it's super illegal. Let's (laughs) it's very illegal, but Utah gets around it a little bit with, um, like religious things and, uh, you know, you're not the right fit for the position, uh, things like that. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's, you know what? If I can be more vocal about it and more out, I hopefully I am a, more of a target for somebody else than, uh, you know, a younger kid who doesn't know how to deal with this kind of stuff. I have a little bit of a thicker skin doing stand-up than a kid who is 15. So I, I'd rather deal with it. Also, I'm very confrontational. So I will, uh, you know, knock on people's doors and tell them they're homophobic. Oh, I love that about you. Thank God. I, I hang a, two pride flags outside my door so that, because uh, it's it's not super common here in Utah, uh, but I or in Logan, and I hang them at my door, and hopefully that's a little bit of a, you can't mess around on the street. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I love that. I love that. And I, I bet that the young folks in your community, you know, seek you out for refuge and understanding. I know they do here for me. I'm in a very straight, especially straight white community. And I wear my rainbow pins, uh, you know, on my purse strap and on my blouse or whatever I have out. And, you know, I may be at the supermarket or something. And there's always interesting conversations that come out of it amongst the youth who are like, are you part of our community? Like, yeah, I have my my girlfriend and I decided that we weren't going to have children. We were very, very clear about that on our very first date, which is really fun first date material about, hey, do you want to have kids? We're drinking coffee. Uh, but we decided that if we ever wanted uh, or had the ability, we would just pretty much have like a, a queer open door policy at our house. Just if you needed a place, we'd give you one. Uh, oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And there's so many kids who, who do, uh, man, I remember when I was pregnant and I was just like, dear universe, send me the gay ones, send me the queer <laughs> ones. I'm here for all of them. Don't send them to Texas. Send them they here. belong here with me in California. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Well, tell me about your pandemic. What'd you write during the pandemic? Oh, geez. Uh, I had a very weird pandemic. Uh, Utah is a very small community. 
when it comes to writing and film. Uh, we have very tight knit. We all know each other. All of the same money flows to each project. You pay for my project. I'm going to pay for your project later. It's a tiny, tiny community. The pandemic hit and it all shut down. Everything went away. Uh, even like some of the student film just was gone. Mm. So during that time, I <laughs> was going through uh, the end of a breakup. Well, kind of uh, getting out of a pretty, pretty bad relationship. And I decided to kind of drop out of film and TV and change trajectories. I <laughs> just sat down every day and fixed my portfolio, fixed my resume, got a website, pretty much all the things that I had been like, oh, after this project, I'll do, I'll do it after this project, setting up my, myself for, uh, potential people to look at. Uh, I, uh, I did all of that and then changed to working on getting into video games. Uh, on top of that, having to get a job at a game store, like a, like a, like Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, board games, uh, worked at a game store part-time. Well, more than part-time. It was part-time. Yeah. Uh, and kind of fell in love with the, the world of, of nerd things. Always had been a video gamer, but got real, 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 real heavy into it. Uh, and then I just applied to jobs the entire time. I think the pandemic was the least amount of writing I've done in a solid 10 years. But it's given me the time to push myself into a, a way that is uh, where I want to be. I love that. That's so cool. Illuminate for us the world of video game writing a little bit. You said you were going out for those jobs and I talked to you prior and you mentioned like job boards and the fact that it's a little more corporate than the TV and film world. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually like a trip. It's so different. I mean, you still have those elements of networking and getting to know people and being genuinely interested in projects and most of the time starting at the bottom. Um, but there are all the job boards in the world. Every video game developer has a career page on their website and you can apply to those pages um, or to those postings. And so it's a little bit more sit down, apply, write a bunch of cover letters, uh, don't get your cover letters mixed up. Uh, make sure your resume <laughs> is written properly and apply to all the jobs. There is a, a very limited amount of jobs for writers in video games, but they are there. Then they are posted for you on job boards. Did your ability to write jokes help you? Very much. Very, very much. Uh, so uh, for you have to take a narrative test. Uh, when you go into writing for video games, they'll give you an interview. Narrative test. Yes. What does a, that look like? It usually is a, a couple of pages. Uh, it'll vary depending on the company. Uh, 
depending on the kind of games they're putting out, depending on the uh, style of of project they're working on. Uh, game or companies like Blizzard gave me a, a three page test, and through all of the writing, it ended up being about eleven pages of writing. Uh, that you hand back to them. Uh, a company, Supermassive Games, who I was talking to, uh, they handed me a two-page test, and it ended up being a two-page writing exercise, pretty much. It was just a, a way that you can hand them something within a week, and they can see you didn't take nine months on this and you know, do all those tiny little things. Um, usually they'll be like, uh, half of it will be the regular asking questions. What do you think is great for a narrative design person? And the other half is a very different world. It is usually, um, what are they looking for the project? Greeting packages, which are just jokes, uh, or full-on short scripts, which was one of the ones I did just recently. Uh, I needed to write a whole scene. That's amazing. Does the script look similar to what it looks like for TV and film? Yeah, um, when it comes to these narrative tests, usually they don't want you to bother with gameplay mechanics. But when you get into actually working for the company, they usually have like some sort of infrastructure put into place, like working with Twine or Ghostwriter or different programs that allow you to map out how the game is going to work. Um, and then they'll write in like a movie format. Oh, wow. Is there some kind of backend software that is helping the writers visualize all those branches of choices that happen for the characters during gameplay? Yeah. Uh, So Twine, which I just mentioned, is one of them. If you don't have that and you're interested in video game writing, uh, download it. It's super free. Uh, If you remember back in like the 2000, early 2000s, 2009-ish, when you did text games on the internet like you'd read a, 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 a basically a small passage and then you'd have a couple of uh choices to go through it was that you just do that um some of them have a little bit of a learning uh curve like learning css which is super easy and the internet is full of tutorials to do those things but twine is one of the more common ones that i've seen um and it's free so you can just practice that is amazing that's so cool i when i was i'm gonna date myself now (laughs) when i was young the video game that i played the most often before nintendo with my friends was a game called zork and the entire game a few of my students are on the call they're like nodding (laughs) the entire game was all text with like Mm -hmm. choices and you had to determine like you would type in it's how i learned to type go north and then like text would appear and be like you are now standing in a village and there's a tree beside you and you're like climb the tree like we were like my best friend Susie and I were like trying to find the keys to like type what we wanted the thing to do and we were always eaten by a guru that's all yeah yeah struggled like hell we're trying to find the whatever egg fabulous egg thing that they had and I don't know we would always get eaten it was terrible yeah (laughs) that is honestly that's like the 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 foundation of video game writing is that (laughs) that still is very alive when you're mapping out games that is amazing that's so cool it's wild to me that you can get on a job site and apply (laughs) to become 
a video game writer. Like that doesn't, I mean, pretty much exist in TV and film. So, I mean, that's kind of like freeing and inspiring that like you could go to a job board, like what job board, where, where should the listeners go if they want to do that? Uh, LinkedIn is one of the most, uh, prevalent places. Uh, I pretty much solely use LinkedIn at this point now, uh, because you can go to the developer's webpage just through clicking on their little LinkedIn profile. And then on their webpage will be a careers tab. Most of the time it'll say like careers or join us or jobs. And that's where they post everything. What if the writer doesn't have a IMDb writing credits? And they uh, yeah, it, it helps. Like it always does. Um, I, because I did story editing for so long, don't really have that many IMDb credits. Um, I've touched a lot of scripts, uh, but I don't have, you know, huge uh, credits to my name and I still apply to these jobs. They're really looking at your writing samples more than anything. Uh, I think I've I've talked to a couple of uh, the people who have interviewed me over the years, and it's that they are like, "Oh, you have an IMDb." <clears throat> so I, some of them look, most of them don't. They just want to see your work in front of them, and so writing samples are the most important thing to have. That's really cool. I mean, that's really interesting because samples are a lot easier to get than credits to create yeah. credits in a lot of cases. I have a friend who's been on this podcast before, actor Jake Jay Tavare. And uh, Jay has done voiceover for video games as well as, you know, the crazy, like, put all the pads all over your body and mm-hmm. they, you know, okay. dial in. Yeah, or they dial in your your movements and everything for the characters. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, do you, as a video game writer, write those scripts for those voiceover actors that are do, voicing the talent of those games? Um, it does depend on the project. So um, when you're looking at narrative design, that falls under a rather large umbrella of design, uh, you know, narrative coordinating, uh, writing, kind of all of these things. And so what the project asks for is kind of what you fall into. Um, I have gone from, uh, you know, having these scripts already in my hand and just getting them ready for mocap and voiceover, which is like you pretty much take every scene that one actor has, put it into a PDF file and hand that to them. And it's a lot of tedious work where on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've been, um, pretty much uh, uh, mapping out the the start and end of the game and not dealing with any of the scene writing. Um, Everywhere in between you kind of can fall into. I love being in the seat where I get to map out the game, but also get to write tiny cutscenes, which are very, very fun to do because you're not writing 120 pages of script. You're writing upwards of 15 and it's great because you have to condense everything into these 15 pages and you're so proud of those 15 pages and you get to look over those 15 pages like 30 times uh within a month and then you hand it over and that it gets made oh that's such a good feeling yeah it's like making a bunch of short films very quickly 
Well, that's really interesting. I see. I don't know anything about this world, you know, as a development exec in film. And then when I worked for Gary Shandling, I was learning about TV, but I haven't worked in TV and I really haven't worked in gaming. So learning how this all works is really interesting. What is in gaming the equivalent of a showrunner? Um, you're looking at someone who is pretty high, kind of in the middle of everything, uh, just like a showrunner, which would be a game designer um, and your narrative director. It's Sometimes they are the same thing. Sometimes they are separate. But a game designer looks at the gameplay and how that works with the narrative. And the narrative designer looks or director looks at the uh, narrative and see how it works with the gameplay. Um, and so those two are most of the time the showrunners of this game. Um, you'll have a game director and 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 somebody who is uh, executives looking over the whole thing, like every project. But most of the time, a game designer and a narrative director work together. Oh, so interesting. Haley, to what degree are these jobs like gig work, you know, kind of like <laughs> come, it comes as it, and it goes versus like, oh, you're hired by this company and you're on salary and you work for them and you may go from project to project? Um, well, <laughs> if you are in the narrative design chair, uh, or a narrative director chair or a writer chair, most of the time you are hired on for the entirety of the project, which can last between like, depending on the size, like two to five years and you get a salary and you get uh, corporate benefits and you get all of the things that uh, like my girlfriend who works in solely corporate world is, uh, you get all those things, and it's very interesting because that's super unheard of when it comes to gig work. Um, on the other end of that, you could be like a narrative coordinator, which, depending on the project, depending where you fall into, can go between like two months to six months. So it really just depends on the where you're where you're fitting in the, under that umbrella. But if you're solely in a design narrative design, two to five years is typically what you're looking at for people who are just starting out a lot of folks who are above the line creatives listening to my podcast are like oh am i like i might want to try to get one of those jobs what is a good entry-level position that they should be looking at um qa is a really good place to start it's where you're testing the game pretty much and um it's it's the equivalent of a story editor you're playing the game you're seeing where the bugs are you're noting those bugs kind of seeing where the story doesn't really work out and then uh handing that back and they kind of fix those things uh it's better to have a little bit of a technical know-how in that area uh but you don't really need too much like it's you don't need a degree you can just be really enjoying playing games um but you still have to have like the organization and the and the communication skills. Um, what I did was I actually just applied for narrative design jobs. And if I didn't get those, the company usually comes back and will say something along the lines of like, we didn't pick you, but we're going to keep your, your stuff on file pretty much, which is a very corporate thing to do. The better <laughs> companies are are say, hey, here's our timeline. 
in three months, we're hiring for a writer position. You might not fit this one, but this writer position you fit better for, uh, if they're a good HR department. Um, uh, and I've actually had a lot of success with just networking, um, taking that networking from film and, and putting it into video games, which weirdly works sometimes. That's great. In in the entertainment business school, I refer a lot to finding your wolf pack. You know, who yeah. are these people who you want to work with again and again, who are awesome, who have your back. And have you found a wolf pack for yourself in games? Um, I think I'm working on that. I uh, uh, I had a lot of um I've had a lot of fun interviewing. One of my first like uh real interviews was actually with the WWE. Uh for wrestling which is is, if you guys ever want to like get a crash course in directing producing writing uh traveling every week uh kind of having a pretty stressful job writing for the wwe is a very interesting place to work it's very fast-paced um i interviewed for them uh, and they were like, Hey, move out to Connecticut. And I said, I don't know about that one, man. <laughs> and they said, all right. Uh, but in that time I reached out to a, a writer who had worked on the WWE and now she works in video games. Uh, and that's how I got an interview for a narrative coordinator job. Like I just, she was like, you're cool. I like you. Let's play, let's like play games together. And we ended up, uh, I ended up interviewing for a position at uh, 2k games so it was uh, i haven't found my wolf pack yet but i feel like because of the ability that i have to keep interviewing and, and keep writing and 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 networking with people i think i'm i'm on my way oh you are on your way yeah well, you've got the concept and hey i'm in your wolf pack now yeah yeah win <laughs> friendship <laughs> friendship friendship yeah. where's that like spongebob uh <laughs> gif where he says friendship Here oh it's magic my bad rainbows, yes <laughs> um hey for anybody who doesn't know what a story editor is can you hit that real quick oh yeah story editor is somebody who gets a script and is uh basically there to say uh read your script and tell you where it needs some work um usually it comes in the form of notes um and it's a lot of reading a lot of reading um yeah you're just you're just helping somebody get to the end place of where they want their script to be um that could be whether they need help moving their plot in a different direction whether they need help with dialogue uh just telling them that their script is is getting to the point where it needs to get to and uh usually my my um Philosophy is what do you need me to do as a story editor? I ask the the scriptwriter most of the time. Do you how involved do you want me to be? Do you want me to be someone who does coverage, or do you want me to be someone who changes whole scenes? Um, yeah, just manipulating the script to get to where it wants to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting and helpful. Yeah. Appreciate that. So, you know, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Uh, well, uh, I'm working on trying to get uh, another job in, in video games. I got a little bit of a break between gigs and I'm on that sweet freelance life uh, at the moment. So I'm working on a script with a, a writer, uh, who's handing a script to Lionsgate in a little bit. And we're actually, I'm supposed to be doing notes on that today. So <laughs> don't tell anyone I'm not doing that right now. Uh, <laughs> they don't even know what day we're recording. They're not going to know. No one will know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, just kind of in between edit or uh, doing story editing and interviewing for jobs. I should say this, I should have put this in the uh, job posting question that you had. Uh, interviewing for video games is more to the face rejection than film and TV ever has been huh. uh, because you're getting, you're putting in an, in an application and they're going to send you a rejection letter say either saying like hey we'll have an interview or sorry we're gonna go with somebody else so there's a i think i've put out 250 applications in the last month ish and 90 percent of those are rejections at least you're you not being ghosted like yeah getting a actual rejection which in our business is crazy that that's a relief <laughs> yeah it doesn't feel it feels very like uh uh not unpersonal. It doesn't feel very personal, which is, I think, a little bit of a benefit, at least to me, who has a very, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sensitive lady. I so, uh, you developed your your thick skin, though, which is great. Yeah, thick skin, sensitive emotions. Yeah, it's a soft on the inside, hard yeah. on the outside. We kind of have to be that way in this in this business. I know I have become that way too. I used to have really thin skin. Oh, what a terrible business to be in when for the thin skinned. <laughs> That's what I uh, uh, um, you know got a therapist for. <laughs> oh but, me too. Yeah, I've had my therapist for 20 years. Yeah. Who has reminded me on, you know, multiple occasions while I've been like choked in tears. You're in a heartless business. Yes. You're, it's a heartless business. And I'm like, I'm here to put the heart back in it. I think that's like <laughs> one of the things that we're slowly getting back to in entertainment is like a, a feeling of actually uh, wanting to get to know each other rather than just trying to use each other for, for jobs. Um, I have made great friends in, in video games and, and film all because I, you know, asked a bunch of questions and then they were like, you're cool. Let's, let's hang out. And I was like, you're cool. Let's play a game together. Um, I think we're getting back to the point where we're all friends. I love that. I really, really love that. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to happen. Then life is a lot more enjoyable than like, you know, I studied the work of Rianne Eisler, Dr. Rianne Eisler. She wrote The Chalice and the Blade. And she always, she, she sees the world through the lens of, look, either you're in partnership in some capacity, right? With people in your life, you know, who you're either working with or who are in your family, there's some kind of partnership level, or you're dealing with 
dominator structures and dominator structures are like, you know, I'm right. You're wrong. I need to take this thing that you have so that I have more. And like all of the really brutal games that are played uh, politically and elsewhere and even in our lives and inside of culture. And it seems like, you know, from my experience in film, especially the cultures that thrive are the cultures wherein there's openness of sharing of information and, you know, best, the best idea wins, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. let's make it all awesome together, collaborating. All of our jobs are hard enough. Let's, you know, keep it more open. And there has to be a leader. There has to be somebody who's like final call. He has, he, she has the say, okay, it's my call. You know, we're, we're going with this, but when you feel like your input is valued, it's just a much better environment than when you feel like, oh, I, I can't, I'm not safe to share anything. I'm not safe to be who I am. I'm not safe to share my truth. And then you don't, no one's getting your best. You don't feel comfortable to give your best. And then the project suffers and, you know, it's just, it creates a ripple effect. Yeah. When I was in college, uh, they had said to us, Hey, keep a like a spreadsheet or a diary of every person you meet and also put a small like note of like something personal about them. Um, I did that for years. I still have some of those uh, spreadsheets saved in a Google drive somewhere. I stopped doing that about five years ago and I feel like I've been able to be more present and more genuine to people. Um, And that's, what shines through i feel like in this in this uh business now is the ability to say you know yeah i'm looking for a job but i really just want to sit down and have a drink with you or i want to like be on a a phone call for an hour uh, on a tuesday afternoon like (laughs) i think that's being more genuine helps a lot more than a than remembering everybody's face and everybody's you know, niece's dog's name. It, it's, you know, be cool and you'll be able to make cool things. Then my Angelou who said, we always remember how people make us feel. Mm. Um, and it, it, it feels so true. It's a very, you know, creating at this level, at this scale content of, you know, television, film, video games, it's a process. It's such a process and it's easy to be a consumer and see it as product oh, it's a movie, it's a show, and it's this thing that I watch. And, you know, we we get to that end result, and it's so exciting. But every single step for years leading up to that is process, 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 process. And while we're in that process with people, we're, you know, experiencing our feelings about how we're feeling about that process. And is it egregious and awful and nefarious, or is it awesome and exciting? And you can't wait to see these people and engage and try new ideas and stuff. And, um, it, it, it's everything, you know, it's everything. Cause that all informs and goes into product, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I worked in theater for a really long time and I always thought it was really silly when we came to the closing night and everyone's crying and everyone's hugging each other. And I was always like, we live in the same town where you're going <laughs> to see them in three hours at a, at the D- only Denny's that's open right now. Like you're <laughs> going to see them. Why are you having a, 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 a meltdown? But I think after eight years of working in theater, uh, backstage, uh, I think I finally understand that it is the summer camp 
for them. It is the end of a of a of a road where they don't get to see each other every day. They settled into this this um this place where they get to come every day and sing their hearts out and be vulnerable with each other and get you know clapped at. They get applause. They you know all these dopamine things. Um and I always thought it was silly and then I started treating that idea on the projects that I worked on where I was like, this is fun to go to every day. I enjoy these people. I want this to keep continuing. And I found I made better products. I ended up making better friendships. I worked in theater too. I directed California's largest touring magic show. Really? Yes. And I've been in and out all the illusions. <laughs> you know what? I, I which I hated actually, I really hated, I uh, hated being on stage. I did not like spotlight. Ah. Um, I, you know, it was all a lot of like dance moves and pointing your toes and, you know, smiling and, and, and as a magician's assistant, you are silent. You yeah. are there to be beautiful. You are there to showcase the illusion and you do not have a voice. And, uh, it was just, I rebelled against that so dramatically because I was, you know, far more fascinated by the actual illusions and the science that went into it and practicing them and the directing of it so that the audience is getting the optimal experience of that. And I'm that part of it. I just really, really loved. And there's something so ephemeral about theater, wherein that you've created something so so magical and amazing and this audience was there and you did this thing and then like it just goes off into the ether yeah Uh, and it's like it's as beautiful as it is you know a little bit um you know heart wrenching in that it's like oh and it's gone now you know yeah it, it theater is a very weird world in itself I've never uh you know met a theater person and not been like oh yeah, I worked in theater for all these years. And they're like, I worked in theater. That's just exactly what we did right now. There, There's a weird connection in the trenches of theater uh, <laughs> that also, again, translates to like film and TV. You guys are in the trenches together. You know, like the gaffer who had a bad day or uh, the actor who melted down or you had to like talk down at some point in time. You guys like have all these like stories that you oh, connect yeah. with each other. And uh, to go back to like the, genuine nature remembering those and and connecting on those is the part that i feel like allows you to be able to um be more open to projects that uh that they want to hire for i want to i want to say like hireable but that feels like really not genuine enough uh but yeah people want to want to work with somebody who they connect with and finding those connections is a genuine connections is yeah. something that they we, connect with and who, you know, we can laugh during the stress yeah. moments, you know, ideally, Oh my God, I can't tell you, like, it's really easy to pull uh, magic illusions out of the cases that have been built for them that they come in so you can set them up. And let me tell you it at three 30 in the morning, they never fit back in there. They case. don't. And you have to sit your butt on those cases and ask other people to sit their butts on those cases. And then, oh, this other piece is supposed to be in that box and it's not even in the box. And where was it? And oh my God, we lost the iguana. Where is yep. it? In the theater somewhere. I can't you know? tell you how many times I've had to like, 
direct, like be hanging from ropes on the stage at 3am because we can't, we don't have enough people to get this giant wall off the rail system. And <laughs> everybody has a story about how they've been 20 feet up in the air, holding onto ropes. Uh, <laughs> everybody has that story. It's a theater <laughs> thing. <laughs> the thing that fell on them. <laughs> yeah. The, the time they almost died. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always a Denny's at four in the morning for all of us. <laughs> it's always a Denny's. <laughs> I feel like theaters need to just partner with Denny's. Oh, there you go. The, the Denny's is missing their prime opportunity to put a theater right next door. I'm telling you, my God. Uh, man, they just go with a theme <laughs> of theater, put a bunch of red curtains everywhere. They're fine. They're, they're, they're kicking it, man. Denny's, we, we just like doubled your revenue. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope you enjoy all the 16-year-olds that just finished Trinity Theater. <laughs> Who love, they love milkshakes and fries. I mean, and singing on. at their tables. Exactly. It's a better life. It's a better life. Well, Haley Simpson, you're, you're fascinating. I could talk to you all day. I love you already. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Thanks for being on the Entertainment Business Wisdom Podcast. How can people find you? Uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, carrier pigeon, I'm assuming, uh, everything's just under my name, Haley Simpson. Uh, there, if you look up my name without comedy at the end, you're going to find a really cool makeup artist. So, uh, enjoy that. But yeah, Haley Simpson comedy pretty much everywhere. I, I, what your handle on Twitter is what? Haley comedy. Haley comedy. All right. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank that was you. a very long road to get to an information that should have just been very straightforward. <laughs> okay, we got the information. That's what matters. That's what counts. I just so appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.